Hello again. Welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at braintraffic.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I have a very special guest today. His name is Mr. Cruz Saunders, and Cruz is the founder and principal at A, the Content Intelligence Service, and author of Content Engineering for a Multi-Channel World. He has spent more than 20 years focused on content technology, directing hundreds of digital and content engineering engagements along with his team. Cruz also hosts a podcast, Towards a Smarter World, where he connects with leaders impacting global intelligence. Bruce, finally, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Thank you so much, Christina. I've been so excited to talk to you. This is the first time we've ever spoken, although we've traded many tweets and I've read a bunch of your stuff and uh, have just been excited in general to hear all about what you are doing and what you're excited about these days. Absolutely. Likewise, I feel like we've been having a conversation, even though this is the first time in voice. I agree. And I, you, you are, you just have a voice for, what did we call it? Velvet radio. Velvet radio. (laughs) So glad to be listening to it. Uh, Chris, tell me a little bit about what, what you do and the kind of work that you do with A. Well, sure. So I I run the consulting company that, that uh, is the, the content intelligence service. We work on content portability Um, in particular with a focus on accelerating how content moves from authoring through management and into various forms of delivery. And so that looks like all the stuff that happens sort of before it hits the CMS and uh, all of the things technologically that need to happen in order to get content moved from lots of different parts of an enterprise. So we're really kind of interested in stitching together um, a lot of disconnected pieces and parts. And I'm really particularly keenly interested in the human side of that. So what is, what are the different roles and functions and, and, and relationships between the different practices that interact with content and how do they all work together? Because that's, that's really, I think a big part of, of, the alchemy that, that is needed in order to uh, kind of step up from uh, old school ways of, of publishing that, that uh, continue to be um, the, the de rigueur today. So something that I think is so interesting is that I think early in uh, many content strategists' careers, even before we necessarily were calling ourselves content strategists, we really were looking for like the tool or the process or the technology that was going to help us kind of get our content under control. It is really interesting and exciting to me to hear that you also, um, and because you, you really refer to your work as content engineering, right? Yeah, we, we, we try to differentiate that because we're looking at all of the different pieces and parts of literally just the structure and the semantics of the content itself and the technical systems that contain the content. So we look at, at that as very much an engineering discipline, which is, which is individuated from the, the, the sort of strategic ownership of that content and who it's targeted to and for and, and 
and how it impacts an organization's overall strategy and customer relationships. Like there's so much to do on both sides. So we just focus on the nerdy stuff. Okay. So we're going to have to, what you just described is like the entire universe of content. So let's unpack that just a little bit. I think uh, let's talk about the people side of things quickly because, or maybe not quickly, but again, I, I feel like there, you know, we always point towards Anne Rockley and her early work around structured content and content reuse within, you know, technical documentation and distribution and so on. But the conversation has progressed so much over the last 20 years towards really recognizing and focusing on the human element, uh, you know, especially organizationally across an enterprise and how that really shapes the end product of the content in, you know, approach and management and the strategic thinking around it. Talk to me a little bit about what's exciting to you in terms of how you see enterprise structures evolving to uh, sort of empower and support the people that are making these decisions. Well, you know, I think that a lot of motion is, is headed towards content being managed really in, independently and on a topic-oriented basis apart from um, individual deliverables. That progress is slow. Um, but it, it's, it's happening. It's been happening in different parts of the enterprise um, for a while, like in, in technical communications. You mentioned Anne's work and Anne Rockley and Joe Gullner and a lot of the early structuralists were focused on content as a, uh, as a topic-oriented um, and really ultimately... Uh, entirely separate, separated from presentation um, set of, of, of structured either XML or any other format that's really kind of independent of various systems of implementation, record, presentation. And so that topic-oriented decoupled content where it's just separated from the CMS is something that has DNA already running around it inside of the enterprise. And so those technical content folks, uh, technical communicators, have had part of the answer for a long time, but they've isolated and, and not really connected up to the budgets and drive uh, around the folks running the public websites uh, in, in an enterprise. Usually that those folks are reporting up to marketing or customer experience or sometimes product. Um, and, you know, and so the ways of handling content have been different within those groups. But the thing that enterprises are really doing now is starting to take a little bit of a more holistic look. And I, I wish I could say that was happening at a faster rate and that C-level uh, stakeholders are investing in you know, transformational initiatives about the treatment of content assets. Um, but you know, we've only seen really glimmers of that. The, the reality is that most initiatives uh, between organizations are, are in fact some kind of committee <laughs> or group or steering organization. Uh, Content center of excellence. Well, I, 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 didn't, <laughs> I didn't try to do that because it's such a, it is such a mess. I don't like that framing because a center of excellence has zero teeth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do anything. It, and and I, I don't even necessarily believe a center of excellence has a business function um, 
necessarily in 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 most day-to-day publishing operations. It's sort of a sight along somebody can um, can hang on the wall. And unfortunately, it's not very useful. We're really interested in trying to help build more towards what used to be called governance organizations. Um, but it's it's I, I really actually think there needs to be something like a services organization that is um, focused on content that builds in the various roles, content strategy, content engineering, and cop- content operations. And I, I distinguish between all three of those because I think it's important for us to um, run content in, in as faceted and focused a way as we run an enterprise, right? Because content is the expression of the enterprise. And it, we wouldn't think to run an enterprise without a CEO, CMO, OO, and a CIO. Like those, those, those sort of, um, there are stakeholders that, that are responsible for different parts of, of that function. And so I, I really do believe there, there is a place for a chartered and budgeted in, initiative that's cross-functional, really something that lives um, in, in a much more um, powerful and, and connected way than, than a center of excellence or than, you know, a, uh, than, than a steering committee. But that's what we have today, right? We've got, we have the beginnings of cross-functional conversations where there's dialogue between that, that MarTech group and that tech comms group between pre-sales content owners and post-sales content owners. And they're beginning to talk about stitching together customer experiences that live in the same websites and live in the same mobile apps and talk via the same um, conversational interfaces and hopefully even relate to each other (laughs) in some way, uh, maybe connected by shared taxonomies. And so that beginning conversation is is happening um, today and and I think it's it's bubbling up and hopefully we'll start to develop power and budget and and ability to to influence um, more orchestration who you just described the dream of every content strategist I've ever spoken to who who do you find is sponsoring these conversations internally like where are they, who's, who's heading them up? Who's saying, okay, this is, we got to start making these connections. So organizations usually don't have a, any form of head of omni-channel. So what happens is we sort of default to functions, head of marketing. Um, and so in the absence of um, a an omni-channel customer experience advocate, um, we end up distributing out a lot of the day-to-day management of um, customer experiences to the the level of um, sort of directors that report into a marketing organization or a customer support organization. But the, the organizations moving the ball the most have somebody accountable for customer experience broadly. And so we have done work with organizations reporting to a head of customer experience. We've done work uh, reporting to head of product um, inside of large software companies. We've done work um, 
in, involved in um, organizations that are responsible for the commercialization of content, where they see content as an asset and they are work, they're working to commercialize that asset uh, to sell the content. And in order to do that, they need to look at it in, in a, with a broader brush. Um, we've also ended up involved with marketing groups where there's a very, very strong C-level mandate to create personalized experiences. And personalization is just such a mess today. And um, trying to make personalization happen in anything other than a small campaign-focused Petri dish is, you know, is just not an organizational discipline yet. It's not a, it's not a muscle we've built. And so those folks are running on again, well, how do we do this whole thing? How do we, how do we shake out content, you know, as, as, a, as an entire ecosystem, not just as a, uh, a website project? Um, and, and so it's those kind of cross-disciplinary, cross-functional um, uh, leaders that are answering the call. So interestingly, when I teach my, I have a workshop that I teach content strategy 101 or content strategy fundamentals. When I always email my workshop participants ahead of time saying, tell me what two or three things are that you hope that you'll get out of this workshop. And the number one request that comes across over and over and over again is how do I get this conversation started? How do I help people understand not only the value of content strategy, but its function, you know, at the, not just at like the website design level, but how it needs to play into and begin to build towards the kind of content strategy nirvana that you're describing <laughs> in terms of just being able to get our arms around the customer experience end to end and begin to plug in content structure, content operations, content design, uh, editorial management across different platforms and channels. Where does a content strategist or a small cabal of content strategists start that conversation? So, you know, I, I believe this is a, a, a twofold process. Um, one is sort of an upward-facing triangle, and the other one is sort of a downward-facing triangle. I think they have to kind of ultimately come together. The upward-facing triangle is the interaction at a department or function, a manager even level, where there is a something broken that needs to be fixed. And that could be, I, everybody's emailing around Word documents. And we've got to get our hold, uh, you know, a hold of that because there's so many versions of these things running around in SharePoint files and shared drives. And, and um, you know, it's, is that on the H drive? Who's, who's got that in email? What version is that? You know, and it's... Chris, nobody works like that anymore. Oh, no, wait, everybody does. <laughs> no. I know. And so we, we, we're really dealing with just, let's just tackle some really practical, focused problem head on and quantify the cost. What does that cost us in, in manual transformations and lost productivity by just having to handle content in this very manual way. Um, 
And if we can quantify that, you know, if whether that's percentage of salaried, you know, author's time or, or some other basis, we can, you know, in many organizations, we can start to find literally millions of dollars worth of cost that is sitting around unaccounted for because it's spread out in all of these manual processes. And manager level um, participants, content uh, owners, can themselves, you know, with, within their worlds, within their content domains, identify um, friction points, start to quantify the cost and make a business case for improving it, and then run a little tactical initiative of some kind to just make that incrementally better. And then talk about the bigger picture. Like, if we could do this, you know, within more groups, and we can and stitch this stuff together, we can make a big impact, but let's just prove it at this, at this, within the department. And so there, that's the sort of, you know, bottom up approach that is really uh, just very practical and, and, and tactical thing to do. The other side of it is like the bigger picture of the value proposition around content itself. I don't think Anybody yet does a good job, including us. We haven't figured this out at A. Um, you know, I and we're working hard. I think a lot of and a lot of a lot of folks are to come up with truly quantifiable ways to state the value of content in, content's impact in an organization because it's not just cost savings on authoring, right? It's like content. That's that's a that's a tactical way to look at it. And that's something that get, can provide some traction. But if we're going to move the C-level conversation towards transformative approaches to publishing at an enterprise scale, so really air cover, we, we need to provide air cover for our marketing managers and our, um, all of the, all of those content owners that are, are, are trying to get things done with department level budgets. And if we want to say, look, let's handle content in a new way. Let's address that new way of looking at content. We have to build a vision and a value model or the C-suite that really shows content assets performance um, against market moving business objectives and against um, intellectual property performance measures similar to other intangible assets like, you know, there, there are many, but, um, but if, if I run a record company, I, I, I capitalize my record. Uh, my, you know, if I run a movie company, I capitalize my films. If I run a, um, you know, a book publisher, every book is an asset. So, you know, as, as an enterprise, I capitalize my R and D, I capitalize my goodwill, I capitalize my, um, uh, all of my um, spend that is going out towards anything producing a durable intellectual property asset. And content, especially when it's driving behavior over time, has that shape. It is able to bring in measurably impactful new value to the business across quarters. But I'm budgeting for it on, on a quarter by quarter spend through, through siloed functional um, 
budgeting. So it, so it's coming out of my marketing budget for a particular quarter. And so, you know, and, and sometimes I'll get a, a, a bigger spend on something like a website, but you know, ultimately I'm not looking at the content assets independently as an investment. It's sort of like, I got to pay writers to go write stuff to fill up this thing, this campaign or this website or this chatbot, And, and so it's not, it's not that it's sort of like pouring the content into the container and maybe the tech gets capitalized, but the content itself doesn't. It's seen as either disposable or ephemeral or something. It's confusing to me because why would we treat something that is driving the value of the entire customer experience for every product and every services out there <laughs> and call it <laughs> this ephemeral, ephemeral disposable expense? I, it's, it's just weird. But you know, I think we need to move that conversation at the season. You can't see me, but I'm, I'm crying right now. There are tears streaming down my face. Okay, that's not true. But that everything you just said is what I started like stomping my feet and yelling about a decade ago. There many people were like, everybody was just like, what is the deal? Why are we treating content like it is something you can just go into a warehouse and like take off the shelves and go and make it a thing that people will care about? And I, one of the things that I can't help but think about as you're talking was the rise of content marketing as a practice literally alongside of the rise of conversation around content strategy, specifically as it lives within the user experience. Talk to me a little bit about how you see content marketing as sort of having helped and harmed this conversation, because in some ways it does, you know, raise the, raise the visibility and the profile of content as an asset, a business asset that needs investment. And on the other hand, I feel like it's also just turned it into get me more of the thing that's magically sitting in the warehouse somewhere. Mm, indeed. So what Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi did with the Content Marketing Institute is move the conversation uh, from paid to... Uh, to, to really owned asset orientation. And that's good. That is a very good thing. Um, the, the idea that paid branding is the way to drive marketing results is, is, is um, you know, certainly been um, in decline while content marketing's star has risen. And the results are visible. Everybody that has invested heavily in, in, um, in content marketing as, as, a, as a core marketing strategy, by and large, has been rewarded for that effort up to a point. And then it's it sort of like at some point you reach peak content <laughs> inside of a marketing organization or, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and we're pursuing the same tactics and just starting and it's the quality diminishes and then it starts to become about volume and, and nobody's tracking what the actual customer conversation is about. And then it's just kind of noise. And then it starts to kind of get in the way of the original objective, which is providing a, a quality oriented conversation with a customer through um, valuable content assets. 
And so I think it's done, the content marketing has done wonderful things in moving the attention towards owned content or internally developed content as a core um, business strategy and uh, demonstrating the, the value of that. But I think it's also created the basis for that to just get, go crazy and get out of, out of whack and be abused. And I, I, I really think the, the overall market is starting to realize that, um, that the promise of content marketing is real, that there is a value in aggregating an audience and building a conversation with that audience and, and then um, ultimately creating um, an inbound funnel around those conversations. However, it doesn't stop there. That's the top of the funnel and, or it's the beginning of the journey. It's the beginning of the conversation. It is not the goal. It's just the beginning of, of an omni-channel long-term full customer life cycle conversation. And if we leave it, if we leave it at the content marketing level, it's just like we're just investing in like the introductions, like the, and, and not, we're not actually creating a relationship. Well, and you know, I had, I guess, a not so hidden agenda in asking you that question because my experience is that not only are we kind of front-loading the conversation that you're describing with a ton of content, you know, that they're mapping to, that marketers are being asked to map to the buying funnel, but that's also creating this huge overload of content throughout a variety of systems and channels that is creating real content chaos, uh, which I think that, was it Mark Schaefer? Mark Schaefer wrote about content shock, which I just loved like several years ago. And then he just got piled on by content marketers everywhere. But he wrote about that, that, you know, just what you were saying, that there's only so much attention to be held on the, on the, for the audience's standpoint, but then internally, suddenly organizations are going, what? We have so much content. We don't know where it is or what it says or if it's useful or if people care about it. And it is pointing attention in my mind back to what we started talking about right at the outset, which is the need for a cross-functional service, content service that helps everybody across the organization see, oh, my content doesn't just live in isolation from all these other touch points across the customer life cycle, that this is, everything we do is an expression of our organization and it can't be seen in isolation from these different parts and pieces. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like we, we work with software companies in particular, it's amazing how much content is the product and but that's true in a lot of organizations. I mean, even healthcare and other industries you would think are, are, are not so, so much dependent on, on, on words and pictures and videos and text to, you know, to be, kind of create a, 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 the, the experience itself. But, but in fact, you know, it's as though content is the lens by which every 
every product is actually understood. And so it's not just a phone, it's a content experience and it, you know, has some phone, <laughs> phone like functions, but, um, but it's, it's part of an overall customer experience. And so when we look at, at how to manage the content around that, um, information aura, I've heard it called. Um, and I like, I like that idea. I mean, that's a little, I don't know, my friend might call it astro foo but you know, it's, I like that because it's like, there's this, there's this sense that each product is a content experience inside of it and before it and after it. And therefore we need to manage that as a full experience and the content sets associated with it. So if I'm writing a topic-based content article or a topic-based content item about a product feature, that that topic-based record might have facets for marketing, for the post-sales support, for the product documentation, um, and for the chatbot um, responses associated with it. And so we might be looking at, at, at sort of at a feature level or at a, a, a function level, um, creating a content strategy that, that involves um, uh, building out a much bigger holistic content uh, structure than, than we normally have. It might have multiple contributors, might not be a single author, uh, but it's a single structure. And then we take those parts, right? The, the different pieces that are related to, because they're tagged by which part is, is related to pre-sales and post-sales and which kind of in, intents and which kinds of responses. Because ultimately the future for content is an assembled future. We are going to be creating experiences in real time um, in response to what the customer has just told us they're interested in or what they're doing. And so we need to be able to assemble that experience rather than just chisel it in stone and hope, and hope they happen upon it. We're assembling it for them. And that takes holistic thinking. It's, it's a long journey. I don't think we're going to get there overnight. <laughs> we, we haven't already. Like you said, we've been working on it for a decade or two. And, um, and so, you know, it, but I think, I think now the technology and the market is primed to need to make the shift and to need to recognize content's value because of this, this explosion, this content shock, this content strategy burger. Um, <laughs> that will be sure to include the link to that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so inspired listening to you describe this future and the shifts and the changes that, that not only need to take place, but that you seem to have real hope that they will, which is what is going to get me out of bed in the morning for the next several months. So that's great. Um, we are unfortunately out of time. I, I wonder if you could share with our listening audience where they can get to know you a little bit better and maybe read some of the things that you are, that you're putting out into the world. Sure. Um, we have a, a website with a, a bunch of different publishing on it. Uh, that is uh, at uh, com. simple a.com as uh, the company's name is a 
Um, and I'm at Mr. Cruz on, on Twitter and um, really interested in building a, a broader conversation uh, together uh, for, for the community long-term and really appreciate how much you've catalyzed that broader conversation. I think that's an important, important one for all of us to explore together. Well, I'm lucky to have you here to, to teach me and to, and to share with our audience all of the great things that you envision for the future of content. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Christina. One step at a time. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. This podcast is brought to you by contentstrategy.com and Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy. Find out more about Brain Traffic at, of course, braintraffic.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.